the 2020 AJC Peachtree Road Race. The Peachtree has been quite a challenge in 2020, but for all of us here at Atlanta Track Club, it is a labor of love, so we are finding a way. It's been a long wait, but it's finally here. Being able to run is one of the only normal things that we can do. Get ready for a Peachtree experience like no other. I think the app that Atlanta Track Club is putting together with the sounds of Peachtree is going to be phenomenal. You're listening to the Peachtree Podcast, the official podcast of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. We hope you're feeling good about where you are for the virtual version of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. Welcome in for another week of the Peachtree Podcast. Here with Jay Holder of Atlanta Track Club. I'm Jennifer Perry. <laughs> we were talking before the taping today, Jay. It's two weeks out now, and I'm thinking, where did November go? <laughs> where did the summer go? Where did the fall go? It's crazy how quickly it's gone. While I think all of us are ex- experiencing this sort of time vacuum, it seems to both stand still and move at lightning speed at the same time. It's an odd phenomenon. It for sure is. And uh, I know for you guys at Atlanta Track Club, you've been so busy and Doing things a lot differently this year. Did you finally get all the t-shirts out and shipped? They should all be out. If you haven't gotten your race packet, which will have your shirt, it will have your cliff bar, it will have some goodies from our sponsors, it will have your bib. If you haven't gotten it, email us questions at atlantatrackclub.org. But most of them should be uh, on your doorstep or have been on your doorstep for quite some time. And just don't put on the shirt until after you've run the race. Remember, that's the tradition. Right. I'm going to stick to that too. And I love the t-shirt, but I'm just... I'm waiting. I'm waiting like everyone else. I saw, <laughs> I saw somebody running in it yesterday. I oh, you did? On the belt line. And it, it was, and, and we're taping this on November 11th. It was probably three days ago. So I didn't say anything. I just let it go. Let it go. <laughs> that was hard for you, though, wasn't it? <laughs> it, was, it, was tough. it was tough. Yeah, we're trying to adhere to as many traditions as possible in such a crazy year. And we know a lot of you have been training really hard. We're excited to see how many people, you know, set their own records, at least enjoy this race in a very, unusual way this year but uh, i know at atlanta track club too you guys are getting ready for an end of year merchandise sale this weekend and you have things like the mizuno shoe i love that every year when it comes out so how much stuff is there on sale this weekend jay i'm really excited about the line of gear that we did for the peace tree this year along with mizuno we did something called the landmark collection and of course this is all dreamed up and thought of well before we knew the situation we were going to be in this year but there is a shirt for five different points along the AJC Peachtree Road Race course. So you start at the start line, you've got a Cardiac Hill shirt, you've got a Peachtree Bridge shirt, there's a 10th in Peachtree shirt, and then there's a finish line shirt as well as your commemorative shirt. So it's a really cool series of technical t-shirts that you can get and tanks as well. Uh, we'll have those there. It would be fun to run in one on your AJC Peachtree Road Race day if you can't be on Peachtree, be with Peachtree. And then, of course, you mentioned the shoe, the uh, 51st Peachtree Wave Rider. It's an awesome shoe this year, red, white, and blue, as always, from Mizuno. And I, I put a good 400 miles on mine over the course of the summer before I had to finally retire them. And now I might have to go get a second pair because it's a, it's a great shoe. Hey, and might as well. And the sales this weekend at Atlanta Track Club, is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's Saturday uh, from 11 to 3.30. If you do our Grand Prix finale, which you can find information on at atlantatrackclub.org, you can shop early. There's a Grand Prix finale 800-meter race on Armour and Otley Drives. So if you participate in that, you get early access to the sale. But everyone else who doesn't want to come out and run the 800 or can't come out and run the 800, it's 11 to 3. We will, of course, practice social distancing, limit the amount of people who are in the sale at any given time. We will limit trying things on. You can't try anything on. But uh, we're going to try to have fun regardless. Absolutely. It's what it's about this year. And so, again, 
do not wear your actual peach tree shirt on Thanksgiving Day or when you're running your race, but you can wear the other peach tree gear that we have for you this weekend. So check out that sale. And coming up this week here on the podcast, Jay, we decided we would focus on runner's health this week because obviously that is in the spotlight more than ever with this virus. This pandemic has changed so much for a lot of us, but a lot of athletes wonder, okay, if I happen to get this virus, what happens to me? And someone with very close ties to the race is going to join us to really explain what they know so far about this. We're really lucky to be in Atlanta and to work as a running organization with some of the best medical organizations in the world. Obviously, the CDC is right in our backyard. Uh, we have a great partnership with Northside Hospital around the AJC Peachtree Road Race. And our medical director is Dr. Jonathan Kim from Emory University. And he's one of the leading sports cardiologists in the country. And he's part of uh, a team that is, that is researching and, and trying to understand the impacts that COVID-19 has on endurance athletes, especially in the cardiovascular system. No real answers yet, but I think they're starting to really see some of the data and the feedback as we're, you know, eight, nine months into this virus uh, and understand what it means for a runner, a cyclist, a walker uh, who might have had this virus and what it means in the short term, what it means for coming back to running and walking and cycling and what it means long term. And, and I think, you know, he's got a lot of interesting feedback today from athletes who've experienced this, but uh, also poses some questions we can all ask ourselves going forward. With Garmin's 4Runner 245 Music, you can focus on the running while it does the thinking. It evaluates performance stats, training stats, and even lets you put your music right on your wrist. Visit Garmin.com to learn more. Our guest on the podcast today is someone who's always watching out for runner's health, and he's here to help us understand the impact of the coronavirus on athletes. In fact, his work, Jay, was recently featured in JAMA Cardiology, the Journal of the American Medical Association, and he has close ties with Atlanta Track Club. Yeah, we're joined today by Dr. Jonathan Kim, the medical director for the AJC Peachtree Road Race. And Dr. Kim, welcome to the podcast. I know you had been tracking this since the early days of COVID-19. One of the big questions was, what is the impact on the endurance athlete after they've recovered from this disease, whether they be asymptomatic or have the most severe cases? And I just read the, the study for the second time, and I will say, as somebody who does not subscribe to JAMA, <laughs> it's... I kind of took away a lot of observations from it, but I'd love for you to just kind of summarize why did you set out to find the answer to this question and what did you find in your study? Well, first of all, uh, thanks for having me again, Jay. It's always an honor to do anything with you. And uh, of course, I want to acknowledge our longstanding uh, relationship together between myself and the track club. So thanks again for having me. And so to be clear and transparent, this wasn't a research study. This was a consensus document uh, put forth by colleagues of mine who um, are all leaders in the field of sports cardiology here in the U.S., really addressing many of the unknowns with uh, regarding COVID-19 and the athletic heart, which certainly includes endurance and, and master's endurance athletes. And in part, consensus documents can be great and they can also be uh, a bad thing to some extent. Uh, only because consensus clearly insinuates that this is an opinion document. So you always got to be careful anytime you put forth recommendations that are just opinions. However, we felt it was really important because of all the angst uh, and uncertainty that's out there. Athletes are training. They're certainly the competitive athletes are coming back. We're, we all know about you know collegiate athletes and professional athletes that we watch. Uh, and of course, COVID is 
quite prevalent out there and athletes are becoming infected with COVID-19 and we have to make decisions about when they can come back uh, to competition. And without data, that certainly doesn't help practitioners who are seeing these individuals in clinic. When you include recreational athletes, that only increases the angst because, of course, there's a heck of a lot more recreational athletes out there compared to competitive, uh, whether they're amateur or uh, professional athletes. And so there are many parts about this document that were put forth answering many of these uncertainties. And we can certainly focus in primarily on recreational endurance athletes, but probably the biggest point to discuss would be what to do with the recreational endurance athlete who's been infected with COVID and they want to get back to training for marathons, triathlons, or whatnot. And I want to get to that uh, here in just a moment here, Dr. Kim, but anecdotally, or what are you seeing? Because we, I think we've heard of some high profile cases with uh, well-known athletes who've gotten COVID and they've noticed these effects on their hearts. In general, what are you kind of noticing among certain athletes, what we would consider otherwise healthy people? What has this virus done to their hearts? That's a great question, a great segue question into the return to play portion of the document. And much of the concern and angst, I think, stem from competitive athletes, high profile athletes that were self-disclosing that they were dealing with COVID-related cardiac pathology, so we're not violating HIPAA. They put this out there on their own. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple studies that uh, actually did generate some mainstream national attention, looking at healthier individuals who weren't as sick with COVID. Uh, These were individuals studied with cardiac MRI, and they were found to have some evidence of potential cardiac uh, injury. So that really kind of uh, stoked the flames even more about, oh my gosh, um, does this mean that all athletes could potentially be in danger from the virus? Should we be playing sports at all because of these concerns? And uh, that certainly got its way into a lot of mainstream news outlets. So one of the things that we felt, um, and there are registry data looking at more competitive athletes about what's going on with them and looking at prevalence of cardiac injury, et cetera, was to leverage our experience. What are we seeing on the front lines, seeing athletes at all levels coming and asking these questions, can I get back to training? So to get to the answer to your question, uh, again, and this is just my own experience combined with some of my colleagues who, again, are national experts, but this is not uh, published data per se. So I want to be very careful and transparent. But Mm -hmm. in our own experiences, we're seeing that the majority of athletes are in that other class of COVID, which is those who either had no symptoms or very mild symptoms, mild common cold symptoms. And when we've screened these individuals based off of the recommendations we put forth actually in the first JAMA cardiology document in May, again, these are recs endorsed by the American College of Cardiology, we weren't finding any cardiac pathology. So we're getting ultrasounds of their heart, getting EKGs, drawing blood, looking for cardiac inflammation, and everything was coming back normal. And these athletes were going back to play. So because of that, we felt that we could modify some of these recommendations um, and perhaps at least for now, until the data prove this or show this, that this other category of COVID, if you will, um, probably these individuals don't need intense testing to get back to return to play. Now, as it relates to recreational athletes, because it is a separate animal, we're in a little bit of a different stage though, right? Because there are clearly no marathons going on right now. Um, There are virtual races, of course, Mm -hmm. but you know, many of these individuals I've seen in my clinic are even kind of taking a step back, taking a little bit, you know, kind of reducing their training a little bit because there's not, you know, there's there was no Boston Marathon this year, as an example. So we're in a little bit of that stage kind of where we were for a lot of the kind of professional competitive athletes where we don't know what we're really going to see. Um, that being said, 
some of the, the patients that all fall in this category that we have been seeing, again, generally haven't been that ill. Uh, and you also have to take into consideration healthcare resources as well. I mean, mm -hmm. um, there's a ton of recreational athletes. And if you have COVID, do all these millions of individuals need to see a cardiologist and get all this expensive testing? Again, we need the data to finally answer that, but I think it's important to leverage some of the experiences that we're seeing. The potential impacts that the, the virus has on the cardiovascular system, is this something that an athlete would feel, would experience, would know they have to see a doctor? Or is this something, one of those underlying things that only a test will find? Really, really important question, Jay. And, and that really, I think, drives some of the recommendations that we put forth about when to consider more advanced testing. So what we're talking about here is an entity called myocarditis. Myocarditis is really a general term, um, which encompasses when there's inflammation of the heart muscle typically caused by viral infections. Now, to be fair, as it relates to COVID, we actually don't know the underlying pathophysiology as to why we're seeing all this cardiac injury in sicker hospitalized patients. It may not solely be just myocarditis, viral invasion of the heart muscle. Uh, but when you think about myocarditis as an entity, the reason why you worry about it is number one, if you engage in high-end exercise when there's active inflammation in the heart, that can make the inflammation worse it makes sense even for a non-scientist or physician, but even more so, that could precipitate a dangerous heart rhythms, arrhythmias, uh, particularly in certain parts of the heart that could even lead to cardiac arrest and death. So the key point though is, is prior to COVID-19, we never screened for myocarditis. It was all based on clinical concern and presentation. And these are individuals that certainly gave the history of having a recent viral infection, but now they're presenting not just with fevers, but chest pain shortness of breath, other features clearly consistent with heart dysfunction or symptoms that are pointing to the heart. So one of the things that we have to be careful while we have all of this uncertainty is if you take an individual that doesn't have that syndrome and you just start getting all this fancy testing on them, and I'm actually talking about MRIs, not even necessarily ultrasounds, you may find things that are completely clinically insignificant and actually make things worse because now you've got a situation where you, you see something, but you don't know if it is actually a detriment to that individual. And now you're maybe telling that they can't exercise or train and you don't really know if that was the right answer or not. And now you're putting undue anxiety and angst for that specific athlete. And so we have to be really careful. You're always trying to find that fine balance between appropriate screening, because of course, nobody wants anything bad to happen to anyone, particularly if it's a life and death matter. But you got to look at the other side too, as it relates to over testing and doing too much. And so that question you ask about, are there things that you look for specifically, having that what we call pretest probability, a high clinical pretest probability. You see somebody, they give you a story, they had a recent virus, you are already concerned about myocarditis. That's whenever a lot of these tests that give you a lot of detailed information can be helpful versus giving you a bunch of information that's not helpful. And that's when you worry about it. If you, know, if you or I get a cardiac MRI right now, Jay, I mean, you're a high end endurance athlete. <laughs> we know whenever you image long-term masters athletes that you can find things in the heart that some people can see even in situations like myocarditis. I mean, there's a whole body of literature looking at uh, what we call fibrosis or a little bit of mild, small scarring in the heart um, that studies have shown in endurance, particularly masters endurance athletes that a lot of people got worried about several years ago. We still don't know what that means for this population, but we're not seeing anything bad in terms of adverse outcomes. So high clinical pretest probability is so important.
And you brought up masters, and that actually is a nice segue into the other question I had for you. You talked about the difference between a recreational athlete and an elite level athlete, but have you looked at the difference between a 25-year-old recreational runner and a 65-year-old recreational runner? And also, is there a difference between male and female uh, as it relates to the impact on the heart from this disease? Really important question, and for sure, those are questions that we need answers to. We don't have the data right now. Um, so that is uh, one of the things that we put forth in the paper was, okay, so when we know that in regards to COVID, there are certain factors that may put individuals at higher risk for having adverse outcomes. Of course, we all know about pre-existing conditions. When you look at patients in the hospital that have done poorly, typically they were patients that had underlying significant medical problems, whether it's prior heart attacks, history of congestive heart failure, uh, history of lung disease, bad asthma. Um, all of these things, and then, of course, age. Now, if you're a 65-year-old, 30-year participant in the New York City Boston Marathon, and you're a lead, and you're still running, you know, 310 marathons, 315 marathons, you're obviously a different animal compared to the sicker 65-year-old. And so we don't really know exactly if that individual's higher risk compared to the 25-year-old. I think age is clearly still something you got to take into account. But this goes in line with, with what I was saying beforehand, which is, we're in a little bit of a, a stage now, particularly with the older masters athletes, that we, we still need even more just kind of anecdotal clinical experiences because, as I've mentioned, we're not having a lot of individuals that are training for anything. That being said, still emphasizing, though, that probably for those patients, if they were asymptomatic or, or who had just mild symptoms, they can probably just get back to training. Importantly, a very slow and gradual return to training. If you're older than 65, if you have underlying cardiac risk because a ton of masters athletes out there have high blood pressure, um, even diabetes, even you should at least see your doctor. And we left it to actually have a little bit of a kind of an individualized choice or not saying that each of these individuals need testing. It can be addressed with their, most of these individuals probably have a cardiologist if they have some of these risk factors, discuss with them or your internist uh, and make some individualized decisions about if you need kind of more testing before getting back to trading versus not. So even if we have mild symptoms, if we do happen to get a COVID diagnosis, Dr. Kim, we, we've all heard about that quarantine period that we're in. Does that mean we should also just dial back the training completely during that time? I know some of our runners out there, they're not going to let anything stop them from competing even in a virtual race, but should we just kind of back off the training just in case and, and just keep an eye on our symptoms? An important point, and hopefully nobody takes away with the idea that if you have mild or mild symptoms or asymptomatic, that you can act like you do when you just have the common cold. And, and I'm very uh, glad that you brought that up because of the population of individuals that are part of the track club or are recreational athletes. It's, a, of course, a train at all costs, right? Mm-hmm. What's the best cure for a cold? Just get out there and, and burn 10 miles. Or after the flu, okay, I've been good for a day or so. Time for me to hit, you know, get back to my interval so I don't lose my speed. With COVID, you have to honor the CDC self-isolation. Got to keep others safe and healthy. Now, some may say, well, I can, you know, I can run on the treadmill. We're recommending that there's actually exercise abstinence. And some people would argue with that. Um, certainly, I know even in the cardiology community, not everybody um, is in a complete alignment with what we put forth in our consensus recommendations. But again, we also know that when you have COVID, that second week of illness is when things can go awry. You can get sicker. Well, now, if you're engaged in running 10 miles on the treadmill, even though you had no symptoms, it's probably not the right cocktail. So we recommend that within that 10-day period, uh, you shouldn't be exercising. And so in this case, it's an important message to get out there to the community because 
Uh, I'm sure a lot of folks have probably had it uh, and run and they're hearing this. And they're like, oh, gosh, did I do anything wrong? And no, you don't need to panic. You don't need to you know, set an appointment with the cardiologist just because he did that. But for those who are hearing this for the first time, it's probably just wise advice. There are many, many days out there that you're going to get your runs in. Just respect this virus. That's really what we're trying to say. Um, even if you just had the sniffles, but you were COVID positive, use those 10 days, um, just bite the bullet and uh, don't train. And once the time period is up, also get yourself back slowly. Now, over 10 days, you're going to get deconditioned. It's just a, you know, a fact. That's too many days of doing nothing where you're not going to lose some aerobic uh, capacity. But even more than that, it is just slowly getting yourself back because we also recommend that if you know new symptoms or persistent symptoms that come back, um, once you start exercising, that's a red flag and you should be checked out uh, because that should not happen. Um, and it doesn't mean that you have a cardiac issue. There are other issues with COVID, the COVID long haul, all these things that we've heard about. But you want to get reassessed and kind of back down on the exercise again. So slow and gradual uh, return to training. But most of us don't respect the virus. We're just mad at the virus, Dr. Kim, for <laughs> messing up all of our race plans this year. I know uh, going virtual has been hard for a lot of our runners. But from your seat, I mean, as a cardiologist... How fascinating is this to learn about something completely new that just manifests itself in different ways? I mean, the research on this end, I'm, I'm just uh, amazed at what you guys have been able to compile so far, but I would imagine there's a lot of research still to do on this. Absolutely. Uh, way more research needed than actually what we know. So what do we need to know? We need to know what the prevalence of underlying cardiac injury is in asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic individuals, including athletes. We need to know how efficacious are these screening recommendations that we put forth. As I mentioned, there's never been a screening algorithm for myocarditis or heart injury after a virus, viral infections. Prior to COVID, it's always been a symptomatic response. Or if you're doing a pre-participation screen on an athlete, you may find some potential abnormalities, which could indicate maybe prior myocarditis. But it's not a specific, hey, you had this virus, you need to have testing. So we need to know how well these the screening algorithm works because as mentioned, you want something that picks up stuff, but if you have something where the specificity, as we call it, is bad, you're gonna pick up a lot of what we call false positive findings, which means abnormalities that are actually completely clinically insignificant and make things worse. And that's a big problem we have in sports cardiology, as you can imagine, because doctors are always worried. They don't want anything bad to happen to young, healthy athletes. And there's been a whole series, you know, body of literature going back 20 years now, even looking at just EKGs in athletes. So we need to learn that. And then for some of these, uh, I, I, we didn't really get into some of the data that I mentioned beforehand, some of these small data sets with cardiac MRI. And we probably don't need to for the purposes of this podcast, but know that with some of these quote unquote abnormalities that have been picked up, we need to know the long term uh, the, or the history uh, of that. What happens to these individuals, these athletes who have that, and truly is there no adverse outcomes when they get back to exercise? I mean, all these questions that, um, for those specific questions, we're not going to know for a while. Um, but there's many, many things that we need to know up front. And that'll extend on, you know, for sure, once we get back to participation and recreational racing, there'll be a strong impetus also focused in this population as well, just given the high prevalence of the disease. Yeah, that was actually one of the things that I wanted to ask you, because since last time we talked about this virus, Dr. Kim, it seems there were so many outstanding questions in March and in April and June, and there are still so many outstanding questions. But even in those last couple of months, it seems like you and your colleagues have learned so much more about what this virus and its, its implications. When will we get a, 
you know, a full picture of the impact of, of this particular virus on the human body? I mean, are we looking at years from now? I mean, at what point can we expect to know just exactly what COVID-19 does to a person? Yeah, I wish I could answer that uh, fully, um, for sure. Um, I think, again, this is kind of a weak answer to your question, but uh, again, there is no answer right now, unfortunately. Uh, we're learning day by day. I mean, that, that is a, probably a cliche, but it's true. And with each data set that's published, you're learning a little bit more. And again, a lot about outcomes is time. I mean, you just need to have time passed. Uh, and until time passes, you're never going to know the answer about long-term outcomes for, for many of these clinical situations. I think, though, because COVID is not going anywhere anytime soon. We all know that. We've seen the public health news. We know that even when there's a vaccine, it's not a magic bullet where the next day we're all maskless and running free as if we were on, you know, back in February of 2020. It's going to be months, uh, if not more than a year before there's a semblance to normality. That's what Dr. Fauci has taught us. So because of the strain of this virus, um, on society, there is a clear mandate for all of us in science to answer these questions. So, you know, you go back to the early studies on HIV AIDS, and uh, there was such a public health impact of that, that there was a lot of research and answers were coming fast and furious. And of course, now look at HIV AIDS, right? I mean, uh, certainly it's not what it was back in the early 90s, um, but we've come a long way. But there's still questions about that virus that are, are somewhat unanswered. And again, that's not my field of expertise. So I won't go any further than that. But, you know, COVID is not HIV. It's a different virus. And uh, hopefully um, over the coming years with vaccination, with doing the right thing, um, hopefully it loses some of the virulence and impact that it's uh, imparting on all of us right now. But I think data will be continuing to uh, roll down the pipeline over months and probably years. I have to ask you on a slightly unrelated note, normally on July 4th, you are in the med tent. You are not able to run the race. Are you going to run the Peachtree this year? And if so, where are you planning to run it? Oh boy, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll use the excuse that my wife has always been, and she always runs. She's a pretty hardcore runner herself. You know, every July 4th, she's out there pounding the pavement on the 4th, and I'm, in, you know, in the medical tent. So she gets first kind of crack, and I suspect that she'll probably be the one that's doing virtual peace tree, and, and I'll just be kind of cheering her on this time around. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things we got to do, Jay, one of these years is uh, we got to figure out a time where, We'll come up with some sort of like plan or promotion where I get to run the race as the medical director with some time goal uh, and uh, and you do it for charity or something. Who knows? But uh, but then you'll have to give me time to train for it. <laughs> I, I like it and we can do that. We'll figure out a way. Well, Dr. Jonathan Kim of Emory Healthcare, thanks for all the work you're doing on this and all the research. It really is fascinating stuff. And I think we have some guidelines now as we, again, continue training for our virtual race here and uh Try to stay fit and try to stay healthy, and we appreciate your perspective this week. Absolutely. If I could give one final message to a lot of the, the listeners who are all recreational athletes, and you know, just to summarize the key take-home points, and it is important uh, because there's so much in the news about uh, higher-profile athletes. It really is important to emphasize that the majority of individuals who have COVID in this population of the athletes that we take care of are not going to need to see a cardiologist and have to get cardiac testing. They're going to be able to slowly get back and follow how they're feeling symptoms. And as they get back to their baseline, if they're feeling good, then they're probably all set. It's the individuals that have more 
significant course of disease, these are the ones that we're worrying about. Certainly the ones that aren't getting better after a 10-day period or as they get back to running, they hit a wall um, that wasn't there before COVID. Those are the individuals that you want to reach out and at least start off with your primary care doc. If you want to come see sports cardiologist, great. But the point is, is don't try to train through it. Um, so that's take on point number one. And number two, uh, I can't emphasize enough, respect the virus. Uh, and it, it, it's just because I know this population <laughs> and I know that um, kind of training through viral infections is kind of a badge of courage and uh, a badge of honor. Um, and in this case, just be a little bit wise with this. And it's okay to take 10 days off, even if you just had the sniffles, but you were COVID positive. It's it's just important to recognize that because of all the things we talked about, what we don't know about this disease, give yourself time to recover and then gradually increase. There's no reason to go from zero to 100 miles an hour in a day. Um, give it a, a little bit of time. And those would be the key takeaways. The AJC Peachtree Road Race app allows you to run Atlanta's most iconic race from anywhere. And the Home Depot app allows you to see items anywhere in your home. With the tools to make your project easier, the Home Depot is how doers get more done. I'm so glad we have people like Dr. Kim to turn to, to get some perspective on everything that's happening around us. Again, they're learning things all the time about this virus and in particular at Atlanta Track Club. I know you guys have taken a really safe approach to racing this year. That's why we're doing this race virtually. But I've also seen a lot of announcements from Atlanta Track Club recently, Jay, that you're making plans now to do some in-person races next year. You've successfully pulled that off in a few cases already this year. So what's that like in trying to plan an in-person race where we're keeping everyone safe? Yeah, Jennifer, we've talked about it on the podcast before, why we can't use that model with the peach tree. It's simply too big, 60,000 people doesn't work, that by appointment model doesn't work. And we, you know, we feel really strongly that if we're going to do the peach tree, it needs to be on the peach tree road race course. And uh, there are no permits here in Atlanta currently being issued. Uh, with some of our other races, our, I won't say smaller, but everything's smaller than Peachtree. Um, our smaller races, we found the by appointment model has worked really well. Uh, we had the PNC Atlanta 10 miler on November 1st, where we put 25 people on the start line every five minutes. And that ensured that everybody was socially distanced throughout their race. Uh, we're looking at the first quarter of 2021, and that's likely what our races will look like until we get some sort of okay, whether that be from health officials, whether that be in the form of a vaccine. Um, but the Publix Atlanta Marathon will be the first real big one, February 27th and 28th. And as I mentioned, there, we can't get permits here in the city of Atlanta. So we've moved the event to Atlanta Motor Speedway. And we'll run the marathon and the half marathon simultaneously with up to 50 people on the start line for each race going off at the same time. We figure that people space themselves out over the distance of the race. We do ask that everyone wears a mask until they step on that start line. They don't have to race in a mask, but they have to wear a mask everywhere else on site. Uh, we're not having an expo. You'll pick up your race number and your shirt and any of your other swag when you get on site at the event uh, and no water stops. That's the other big thing we've had to eliminate. There, there are water stops, but you're not getting water out of a cup. You're refilling your own bottle at points along the course. So we've made the races a totally contactless experience. We've tried really hard to allow you to still run with people, but it won't be that huge crowd going off the start line until things change. And that's that's really in the name of safety. I mean, we all want to get back to the days of shoulder to shoulder in the start box and, you know, and trying to, to race each other down the road side by side. And we're going to get there, but we want to make sure that it is the safest possible thing to do before we return to that format. 
I think a lot of us are just looking forward to being able to see each other again, at least wave hi to our fellow runners. And in the case of uh, the February races with the Publix yeah. Half Marathon, I typically try to do that one. I'm excited because it's going to be a flat course for once. Yeah, it's going to be relatively flat. Now, I have not been down to Atlanta Motor Speedway, but I know it can't be as hilly as running through the city of Atlanta, which is very hilly <laughs> and it's a cool challenge. So I don't want to say anything bad about that course, but if you're just looking for a change this year, Atlanta Motor Speedway is relatively flat. I've been told there's one or two hills, uh, but the track itself is is flat and then most of the surface roads around it are as well. A lot of our listeners, Jay, love to try races in different cities and states. And I know we're seeing some organizations return to full-on races like nothing has happened. Why did you guys decide to go the more conservative route and start listening to the experts like Dr. Kim as you get you know all these policies in place for how we do this safely? We're always going to err on the side of caution. Uh, there are lots of studies that show that running and being outdoors are two relatively safe things. But the, the answer is we just don't know. We don't know what could turn into a super spreader event. And obviously, the more people you have in the same place at the same time, the riskier it is for that to happen. And so until we can say that, yes, we can guarantee with a small degree of error that you are safe coming to this event, that your health is safe coming to this event, we're not going to take any risks. So that's just the, the approach we've always taken, whether it be this virus or, or other safety measures, we are going to take the safest possible route. And, that, and that's what we're doing here in, in the early stages of 2021 until we can get a, a, a medical expert or, or a vaccine that tells us that it's, it's safe to do what we used to do again. And then uh, for next year's races, are you already making plans to offer that virtual option? I know you've done that on a lot of the races so far here in 2020. Uh, all of our races will have a virtual option, uh, at least for the first quarter of 2021. So we've opened registration for some of our races. Uh, we're opening the registration for the resolution run here in a couple of days. That will be a socially distanced run around Armour Yards, where we're going to try to complete 2021 laps of the armor loop that some of you are familiar with. It's a 1.3 mile loop around our offices. We're breaking with tradition there, but we're doing that. Uh, we're looking at locations for some of our, our other traditional events, Hearts and Souls 5K, Northside Hospital Atlanta Women's 5K, trying to make sure that we're holding them in a place where we can hold them that's, that also allows for that social distancing. So, but always, you know, people might not feel comfortable coming out, whether it's 2,000 people or whether it's 25 people, and we want to respect that and give those people an option as well. Uh, so that virtual option will exist for all of our races in the foreseeable future. It's just nice to have something to look forward to, even past the virtual AJC Peachtree Road Race. So you can find a full schedule of events online. Just check out atlantatrackclub.org. With only 95 calories and 2.6 carbs, Michelob Ultra is the beard that allows you to live an active, balanced lifestyle. With Michelob Ultra, fun and wellness can live as one. And remember, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Michelob Ultra, superior light beer. Enjoy responsibly. AB Michelob Ultra Light Beer, St. Louis, Missouri. Well, stay tuned next week, the final episode of this year's edition of the Peachtree Podcast. And we have a lot of great information for you to get you race ready. First of all, Jay, we want to invite our listeners again. It's not too late to take part in our taping of the Peachtree Podcast for next week. So if you have questions about anything you've heard on the podcast or the race itself, this is your chance to make your voice heard. Yes, we're going to tape at three o'clock next Wednesday on Zoom. So if you want to join us, look for that Facebook event page. We'll have that up uh, by the time this drops in your podcast feed. Hop on in if you want to be part of it and follow the instructions. 
Yeah, and we'll feature you here on the podcast. Get answers to your questions too. Rich Kana will join us again, executive director of Atlanta Track Club, to go over some of that last minute preparation. And then the really cool thing, I mean, we've never done this before, use an app during this race. And we'll have more information for our runners on how that's going to work, how you download it, what it features. It's going to be pretty cool, Jay. I'm sure some people use apps for every part of their daily life, and some people have never used an app and don't even know what one is. So we're (laughs) going to answer all of your questions, walk you through how to use this, because I do think this app will really go a long way in making sure the virtual running of the AJC Peachtree Road Race is an authentic one. And so join us here again next week for more right here on the Peachtree Podcast. You've been listening to the Peachtree Podcast, the official podcast of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. Thanks to this week's sponsors. For more information, visit atlantatrackclub.org. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ATL Track Club. A DYJ Media Production.